You're listening to The Unstoppables, where each week we show you how to overcome obstacles and transform the sting of failure into the reward of growth. And now, here's your host, best-selling author, keynote speaker, and CEO, Bill Woodich. Pennsylvania is a big state. On the eastern part of the state, there's Philadelphia. On the western part of the state, that's Pittsburgh. Man, that's, that, that's Western PA. That's a whole different different level, right? Well, I don't know. The East Coast is pretty tough, too. The east part of Pennsylvania has uh, got some granular people, some real people. One of those people are on the show today. His name's Tom Corner. And uh, I got to tell you, we share some time off here. This talks about leadership. Decades in business, the real stuff, the granular stuff, man, getting your butt kicked in the trenches, learning from people, watching people make mistakes, making some yourself, picking yourself up and saying, you know what, there's got to be a better way. And that way is through the heart. Servant leadership through the heart of another, treating people as if you want to be treated the same way. That's the difference. My friends, you're on the Unstoppables. My name is Bill Woodish. And today, coming to you from real close to Philadelphia, PA, my brother, Tom Corner. How you doing, man? Hey, Bill. Great to be here. Thanks for the intro. Look forward to it. There are a lot of things that jump out about you in doing my research. We're going to get to one. That's one of the books that you have coming up. You're a prolific writer. But you say something that really caught my attention, that it is numbers over names. That is one of the guiding mantras that you have. Would you like to explain what that means to you? Uh, when people ask me that, Bill, I, I go back and I say it's similar to the the Age old question, which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? So you think about that and you look at a business. In order for a business to succeed, you need names, you need people. In order to track your success, that's where you get into the numbers. In order to keep your doors open to pay your people, that's the numbers, your profits. So there's this delicate balance and I've experienced this throughout my career, but I've also read plenty of research and books. There's a great book that helped me see this and it's called The Wisdom of Failure. And it talks about some of these world, some of the biggest companies in the world and why they failed. And so you have this delicate balance of names and numbers. And my upcoming book, the clean title is Antagonists to Angels, A Change of Mind in the World, the Workplace in the World, is based on my experience, but also the research. You have this harmony. You can't, you can't be a leader and what the challenger sale refers to, that's not a good thing, is called spreadsheet coaching. You can't coach just on the spreadsheet alone. You have to lift your head up out of the spreadsheet, out of the numbers, and check your names. Because as far as the world is right now, Bill, now we are fastly going towards an automated world, we still need humans and we need people to do the work for us to create the numbers. So that's the dilemma we're dealing with. Um, if you were going to distill what you learned in, in the book and in life, the wisdom of failure, what, what would it really come down to? What's one of the, the, the driving thesis behind failure in big corporations? And I've learned this the hard way. It's it, it, it's a mindset. Failure is failure is really an F word. It's a it's a learning opportunity, and it's never been taught that way. S schools are now teaching how to fail, but from a mindset of being brought up as a kid into adulthood, and, and my books talk about how our childhood 
translates into our adulthood. If you talk to a kid, and I share this in one of my books about if you get a question wrong on a test, what's their mindset? What do they say? They say, I'm stupid, I'm bad, I'm a failure. That's the wrong way to look at it. If you look at it to say, okay, and this is a story I share about my daughter when she was in first grade. Sorry, I'm going to go long here, but she had a spelling test. She's a really good student. My wife asked me to ask her how her test went the, the day of after I got done work. I said, Jordan, how was your test? She looks at me and said, dad, it was okay. She's a first grader, Bill. And I said, okay, what happened? I got one word wrong. What was the word? First grade, nutrition. And I said, nutrition, I have a hard time pronouncing it properly, <laughs> let alone spelling it. So why are you upset? Because her friend Emma got all 20 questions right. And, and this took me years. You talk about Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, Automobile University, all these mentors have been talking to me and something hit me. Instead of saying, I'm a failure, I'm not as good as my other peers. I said to my daughter, Jordan, you got that word wrong for a reason. She rolls her eyes like, oh, here it comes. One of dad's weird comments. You got it wrong for a reason because you'll never forget how to spell it again. And the next month she was talking about nutrition and we were playing hangman and all these games and nutrition kept coming up. And it's a shift in perspective. So for failure, failure is a reason. To, it's an opportunity to learn and to say, well, I gave it my best. Why didn't I get it right? Versus the old school mindset of, well, you're a loser and a failure and you might as well just give up. You're talking to Carol Dweck on the fixed and growth, you know, growth mindsets. And so many people are fixed and oriented toward intellect as being something that's finite and you're born with it. And it's, not, it's, it's you know, the, the greater successes later in life turn out to be however you want to define the word success. But those people that keep that growth orientation of being able to embrace change in the not yet attitude of growth. And I, I think we're on the same page again with that. But bring me back a few pages. Tell me about your background, how you started out in business. And let's start with 30,000 feet. We'll come right down to the level of what you do now. Yeah, 30,000 feet. Any position I've ever been in, Bill, it's uh, the recurring theme is to, I realized, to impact people for the better. I was in restaurant hospitality business, even working at a fancy country club. But I always wanted to bring an experience that improved that person's life, whether it was for 30 minutes or 30 days, whether it was a meal or a wedding. And then I got into financial services because I was learning how I was making money and I wanted to learn how my money could grow. And so I figured if I, wow, if I could do this for other people and help them become better financially, I'll do that. And that was 20 some years ago. And my, it, it was a, a, a rough and tumble road because as we were mentioning before I got into it and I knew nothing about it. The people that brought me on board held the focus for me. And that's a theme that I've learned from my co my life coach. They held the focus for me saying, well, we'll hold your hand. We'll teach you how to do it. And I found myself calling out of a phone book of all places and talking to strangers and getting them to agree to come in with me and do a financial plan. And that is an opportunity where your fears are saying, right? I, I'm not calling out of a phone book. I don't know anybody. I can't do this. And it, but it worked. 
but it's very, very painful because I fell on my face a hundred times, but again, I kept getting up and it worked. And then I shifted my career for various reasons to the wholesale side, the distribution side, where I'm representing some of the biggest financial companies in the country and opening the doors for, well, as a salesperson, I would get in front of financial professionals. So it, it, I'm growing up in financial services and that's a, that's a tough business. When you're dealing with money, the whole dynamic changes, right? If I'm selling widgets may not be as cutthroat. And I learned bill that I, I and I reference this in my upcoming book. I, I'm a, I learned to be a sheep in wolves clothing not the other, not a wolf in sheep's clothing. I'm a sheep and I learned to put on that wolf's clothing. And I read all these books about, you know, it's a dog eat dog world. You've got to eat what you kill and you swim with the sharks. And that never really was my, that was never my thing. And, but I learned because I had this desire to succeed, call it ego, call it upbringing. I, I don't know. There's this spark, but it was, it was hard, but it was very rewarding. And, but I find, I found myself a few years ago, absolutely lost, lost. I did everything I was supposed to do. I did everything. I built up a fantastic career and you had a guest on talking about this just recently. Same, a lot of parallels here. I busted my butt. I did everything I was supposed to. And I found myself in a place where I didn't think I, I, I fit in. I'll pause there. You mentioned ego. You mentioned the pain of doing something so difficult. And there's not many more things in our world. And I'm, I'm talking you and, and me in financial services. And then picking up and making a cold call. There's nothing more painful Walking over glass while you do it, and that's called the phone book. For those people who don't know what one is, just Google it, and you'll find maybe a picture of it. There's nothing more daunting, but you paid the price. You came through it. And one thing that I heard, you, you knew you were doing something to get something, but it, just, it didn't feel right. And you, you found who you really were in the process. See that? Man, that, that's some gold, my friend. You found out who you really were, and you knew you weren't that. So yeah. what you are is a mentor, and I'd like for you to do what Aristotle would say we must do, and that's we have to define the term that gives us a, a better talking point for wisdom. So wisdom begins with the definition of terms. I would ask you, what is a mentor, and, and what is your style of mentoring? Uh, for me, again, everything goes back to childhood. I really don't want a mentor who's, at, who's like a parent. I'm a parent. I love my parents, but the quote unquote flaw with the parenting approach is the parent always wants to rescue and fix you. Right. And that act, and that I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it can be detrimental because if you're trying to fix me. Well, maybe there's nothing wrong with me. And you, your, your perspective is different as a parent versus mine. So as a mentor, and I learned this again over the years, automobile university, I met my life coach a number of years ago. And I do this with people I talk to. I believe it's channeling the energy. If you are, if you can remove yourself and truly hear, and you can listen to someone, pick up on their energy. I'm not just talking about words, hear them, 
and hold the focus, not try to find something to fix. To me, I love mentors are the greatest thing ever, but if you're, that's the type of mentor you're working with, that's just not for me. I don't need someone to tell me I need to be fixed. Hold the focus. You're going to redirect me because you're listening and you know what I want. And my words, if you listen to my words, Bill, but you feel my energy, they're going to be two separate things. And if you're able to hear both what I'm saying, but what you're feeling, then you're a, then you're going to be a success. And it's to, to, again, hold the focus. I believe, remove yourself from it. Not, not try to solve it. Just feel them out. Which leads me to leadership and ego. And you talked about removing yourself, which is one of the difficult things that some leaders have. I was guilty of this as well not being able to remove myself from the equation, believing that I was the reason of the answer for. And then when I learned that I wasn't because the universe will generally reconcile that kind of hubris. How do you remove yourself from, from you know, leadership that is ego-driven? Because it seems you've done a remarkable job with it. And what were the steps you took to be able to do that? Um, my entire life, Bill, there was something there was something that was telling me to stick to my guns, not to fall for the pressure of, of getting in line with everyone else and being like them. And that's not, they're not the really proper words for me to choose. It was a matter of, and I think this comes from my parents upbringing and my, and my grandparents, to be honest, to work your butt off. And when I was a wholesaler sitting down across the desk from a financial professional, I was there to sell. I'm not a salesman. I opened up my notebook and I said, do you mind if I take notes? And I would just have a conversation with them. They told me everything about their business without me asking versus me going in there saying, well, I have the greatest product because the next knucklehead is going to come in and say, well, mine's better. And it gives you X amount more. And you have this insane ritual. And I sat down and I took pages of notes and they would tell me everything. And then I had this whole opportunity of follow-up. I wasn't going in there telling them about my product. Now, and it, and it worked, but the challenge and where most people won't do that, Bill, is because you have to go out and hit your numbers immediately. And if you don't hit your numbers immediately for that, you're a failure. That's, that's the mindset. So I'm not doing that immediately, but, and you mentioned this before we spoke, I'm building that rapport, that trust. I want to know them. The business I get down the road is, is going to be so much more than me just selling them in that moment. You're doing, and you're doing it the way that we call the Woodage way, which is, is your way as well. We could call it, we could call it the corner way, but you're building relationships based on a process that's a long play game and you don't want to be treated as a transaction. And I understand transactions make numbers. I understand that there's, there's, there are those people who count those numbers every year. But growing that long-term relationship and actually listening, taking notes like you took and knowing what direction to go instead of just a function, you're not just functioning, you're actually providing an always forward direction. Man, that, I think, is the way. So I, I'm with you in the same, we're in the same building. We're, yeah. we're in probably the same room. But I think that, 
we've both been exposed to, maybe I was guilty of this as well, and I'll put myself on trial. Sometimes I, I'm a little bit too hard-handed, I, I was. In today's employees might not recognize what yesterday's did. Hey, they have a choice. They can vote with their feet. They can move their talents and skills elsewhere, and they don't need to suffer through the browbeating and the reprimand sessions that are nothing but just debilitating and not, like you said, building the focus and understanding where you're going. So what, what, do you, what do you think happens to an employee's mindset when they're, when they're beaten down like that? Well, uh, and again, I believe it's a cultural thing and you have to be taught how to lead with love. I come from a family of coaches and coaches, yeah, and, and I've had successful coaches that were good and browbeating works in the moment. I'll browbeat you, Bill, get off your butt and go do it today and you'll do it. But if that's the only way you know how to lead and that's what you do day in and day out, then you will lose your people. Yep. Like, look you at it. Like, you lose your voice. The people don't respond to that anymore anyway. And if you have to do the push-ups for them and give them the motivation, you got the wrong person. But, oh, yes. So. Yeah. And it's, and it's, that's the names part, knowing your people. You, you, if you embrace your people and your names, you're going to get, more out of them. Your, your efficiencies will improve. Your effectiveness will improve. But if you're stuck spreadsheet coaching, you're going to be in trouble. And I, I, I have a perfect example that I talk about in my book. Actually, it's based off of my brother. They won the state championship in lacrosse in the early 80s. Their coach was a browbeater. He didn't know the sport. He yelled, he threw his clipboard and the players were all staters, all Americans and they, and they couldn't win. And what they did, and this is what leaders need to listen to this, like kids, they'll find a way to get what they want. They'll find a way to win. This team came together and they called their own plays in short. The coach had no idea. They said, listen, here's the name of the play he's going to call. We're calling, we're going to change it and make it our play. They changed everything and they came together as a team, despite a loser leader that browbeat and didn't understand his, his players. And they won the state championship. That's a real story. And I saw the same thing happening where I was working because people were beaten up and it became toxic and it was low energy. And you go in to a meeting and here, here's my first lesson when I first got in the business. I was successful. I was calling out of the phone book. I had my 10 financial plans, my 10,000 GDC, and I got licensed all in 10 weeks, the 10, 10, 10. Scott, the head of the company was up there saying, hey, you're all not coming back with a check for a financial plan. If you don't come back and he tears up a commission check, wasn't mine, was a colleague's. And this is a true story. He tears up their commission check right in front of all of us. And we look at us ourselves and say, holy Toledo, what did he just do? He just tore your $10,000 commission check in half. I didn't understand at the time, Bill, because I didn't know enough how, what that meant. He wasn't talking to me, but I, I took it the wrong way because I wasn't aware enough. I go to an appointment that night, young couple, I pull up at their house. I knew I had them as a client, but I knew they weren't ready to cut me a check. I went through everything. I had all their financial information. I earned the trust. And then I heard my boss at the end of the appointment saying, you have to get a check. And I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared. And in some fumbling way, I asked 
for the check the wrong way and they kicked me out of their house. I lost a client. I lost a plan. I lost future referrals. I carry that story with me because the same thing happened 20 years later. I'm calling on a, the head of product at Wells Fargo Advisors to get a product approved. Leadership at my company said, you have to get the product approved because we did such a great job of building them up to being the number, us, our company, the number one index carrier in their system that we based everything off their approval. If they didn't approve it, nobody, we couldn't move forward. And they said, you have to get approval. And I wasn't sold on the product bill. And I knew my client wasn't sold. He had a big ego and I knew who he was because he didn't like it when people didn't listen to him. And I sat down at the table. I flashed back 20 years ago, losing a client. He says, I'm not set. I'm not looking at this, Tom. His words were, these are all pieces of garbage and we're not ready to review it. And I closed up my pitch deck, slid it across the table and said, fine, I'll call him Bob. I changed the name. Bob, if you're not ready, I'm not ready. And he looked at me, his face dropped. He said, don't you have to go back to leadership? What's going to happen when you go back to them without an approval? I said, Bob, don't worry about it. I value our relationship rather than me pushing something you are clearly not ready for, but I'm asking you to keep the door open because I'll be back. I learned over the years how to speak to people, how to understand my clients. Long story short, they approved the product, but the leader is browbeating and I know them, they would have come in there and they would have beaten the heck out of this guy, Bob, and he would have become very upset and said, the heck with you guys. I achieved the same thing, but I achieved it on greater results that you can't catch on a spreadsheet. I got the relationship. I knew the guy. So your coaching style doesn't embrace or tolerate mediocrity. It just coaches excellence in a different way. Would that yes. be? Uh, it's what I'm hearing. You mentioned the L word, which is a vulnerability that most leaders don't use today, but it's a, it's a word we need to embrace and use a lot more and live, actually, and that's love. And you say as a leader, you need to lead with love. So, so how do we lead with love? How do we implement that approach? I, and anytime anybody asks me that, Bill, it's gradually then suddenly. That's Fierce Conversations is based off of that. That's the book, Sun Also Rises by Hemingway. Yes. You have to enroll in the gradual part in life and anything before you actually graduate to the suddenly. So it takes place gradually. There's no, I believe, an awakening going on. Tammy Simon has the inner MBA with LinkedIn to talk about the same thing. It's a shift in mindset. And it's a shift in, in being able to say, here's the thing. If you look at guiding principles and values and culture at a company, all those words come from love, transparency, honesty, integrity, inclusion. And then what happens is you go and you see a CEO talk about honesty, transparency, inclusion at an employee meeting. Everybody stands up and they're applauding. And then they whisper in their colleague's ear and say, that was a bunch of garbage. I don't see any of it. They're liars. That's what happens. It's not the CEO's fault per se. That's what they believe in. It's their vision for the company. But if you have so many, and as Carl Icahn calls, calls them mediocre managers in Tony Robbins' mm -hmm. book, Money, and why companies aren't profitable, you need to get the mediocre managers out or they need to learn what the CEO is talking about. All those words are love. And, but it's, you have to trust in it. And 
you have to be able to get your head out of the numbers and look up at your people truly and honestly and hold your managers accountable to lead with love. It can be done, but there's this disconnect. You need to hold your managers accountable. Ain't that the truth? Let, let, me, let me give you the crystal ball. You probably don't need too much of it. You're probably looking out there already. What's it good? What do you think it's to be like in the workforce? How do you think we're going to change as leaders, CEOs, maybe our mindset and then our workforce in terms of flexibility during and after COVID? That's a fantastic question. A lot of these challenges, and my book was started writing it pre-COVID. Now you're in a COVID situation and I work remotely. The one thing, and because I traveled, but the one thing that made it very enjoyable is because I was able to travel and be with people. You have to have that human connection. Technology is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because I'm able to do this with you today. It's a blessing. It's an honor. But if I'm not able to connect with my people and now I'm a leader, this is a slippery slope and leaders have to wake up because I know where you are, Bill. You're right there on the camera. You log in at nine, you log out at five, whatever the, whatever it is. If I need you, I could ping you any time of day. It was always like that. And this is actually coming from an ex-colleague who I was talking to the other day. I said, how's it going? Haven't traveled in over a year. I miss the people I'm with, but they know where I am. Right. And, and I can't get out of it. So you look at this, I think this um, fallacy of a work-life balance. I would go to these big offices where they brought the life to work. You had Starbucks there, you had a cafeteria, you had a gym, you had a dry cleaner. And they say work-life balance. I say, wait a second, you're bringing life into work. I don't need to go home. Now work is at home remotely. So there's this, leaders have to wake up because research has said that they're afraid there's going to be a bigger, more people leaving work once things kind of settle mm -hmm. down a bit. And this is an awakening of sorts because people have spent time with their family, their, their values, they, they're waking up saying, oh, wow, I really enjoyed being at home around my loved ones before I wasn't. And people are going to reevaluate what work means to them. And in a way, it's forcing that breakdown that I had. I, I, it, it, it came upon me. I didn't know what to do. And I said this, I've had enough. And it was really hard. And I think there's this awakening. So from a, a leadership perspective, you have to hold your managers accountable. You really have to check in. And I'm not talking about doing an employee engagement survey, which is very cold. <laughs> and you need to find a way to engage with your people because you're going to lose more of them. You, you don't want people coming to work to collect a paycheck. True. And I, I think that the leader that deals fear as their main card are going to lose the good hearts and minds. They're going to go to work for themselves, for other people. And you're going to be stuck with nothing but overhead. Those are the people that fear and don't want to leave and are just you know beaten so beaten down so low. They don't know they have a choice. Yeah. Let, let me ask you about, you, you mentioned your one book. You have other books. Tell us where we can find you and find your books and some of your wisdom. Yeah, thank you. 
Check me out at tomcorner.net, T-O-M-C-O-R-N-E-R.net. You can take a look at a lot of the blog articles. Once this is posted, this will be on my website. I've published three children's books because it all starts with kids. We have to teach our kids to lead with love. Um, and my kids are my greatest learn, my greatest teachers. I learn so much from my kids when I remove the ego and I listen. They, are, they have so much wisdom. And a lot of my books are based on that. I have something called hit them with a hug because when a, when somebody was, when a kid was bullying my daughter, I couldn't figure it out. And I unfortunately told her to just punch them right between the eyes. It won't bug you again. And she said, dad, why don't I just talk to the bus driver? Problem solved. She taught me something because I was brought up to hit them back. And I said, you know what? If I could actually hug somebody instead of hit them, that's where people cringe and they laugh and they say that's weak. That's mushy. That's a leader. No, so I can. That, that, that's a Philadelphia thing. Pittsburgh too. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it, that's why I was laughing. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're, able to do, if you're able to do that. So it starts with kids. My, my books are about positive thoughts. It's about being aware of, of your actions. And then my, Mother books are about overcoming challenges. One's called Mommy, Why Do You Have Two Birthdays? My wife was diagnosed with stage four cancer. She had a 12 centimeter mass in her chest. And she went from doctor to doctor who said, sorry, there's nothing you can do. Get your affairs in order. That is a wake up call. So you have to go in the face of highly qualified professionals who are giving you their opinion, saying there's nothing we can do until we found the right doctor. This is for people who have some sort of challenge. Maybe it's cancer that you have to ask questions, ask questions out of love and respect. I teach my kids to ask questions out of love and respect. That's overcoming a physical diagnosis, a challenge. My book, Bard Eyes and Feet, Finding Enlightenment After Rage, is my my triumph i'm still and i still work on it every day overcoming a self-sabotaging mindset changing your perspective finding enlightenment after rage is the acronym is fear fear is a great that's where i was going that's where i'm going next with you <laughs> I, I want you you glossed over this i gloss over it and i think a lot of people are stuck here fear mm-hmm picked up the phones you did what you had to do it was a requisite you ran up the beach you just did it every day i did the same thing it was part of what we had to do we didn't think yep. about it today people are overthinking it so what would you coach them about fear what it is and how to move through it and i'm talking about the kind of fear that's emotional not, not the physical fear how would you coach them to move through it and it again gradual try it it won't work tell people you try this it does not work and it won't work if you give up Eventually it works gradually. My life coach, Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, Eckhart Tolle, Jim Rohn, all these wonderful mentors have put me here with you today. When you get those thoughts that are ornery, you, whatever it is, doubt, hatred, anger, is, ask yourself. First of all, you have to be able to settle. You have to settle. Ask yourself, uh, is this really true? Is what I'm thinking really true? Whether I'm angry with my boss, angry at my spouse, I'm afraid of something. I'm afraid of picking up, op- opening the phone book and making a phone call. Is it really true? What? And this is peeling away the layers of the onion. And this is the Cliff Notes version. What's the worst that can happen, Bill? Yeah. And then you yeah. go down it. The worst that can happen is you die. I mean, it's more. 
But once once that happens, and they ask you a question, where are all your fears then? Yeah, everything you've done to this point, you, you still lived. And, and if death is the macro failure, the little micros aren't going to kill you. So you, you're right. It's, it's yeah, a, it's a mindset, and it's understanding that what is real. And ask yourself that question: What's going to what's going to happen? What is is it real? That's the first question you have to answer. So, and here's the cool thing. Because people that maybe are my generation will get this. Have you ever been in a mosh pit? You know what a mosh pit is. People say, oh, you're a a punk rocker guy because you know what mosh pits are. I've been in mosh pits. They're scary. So if you've been in a mosh pit, there's a bunch of people at a rock concert, punk concert. They're on the ground and they're jumping around. There's bodies bouncing off of one another. And it's crazy. Everybody's got masks on too, by the way. Right. (laughs) Even if if they're going to do it now. So think about your mind. The mind processes 50, 60, 70,000 thoughts a day. Yeah. If your thoughts that's are fearful, if they're self-sabotaging, that's the mosh pit of the mind saying, well, it's not going to work. You're going to be a failure. People are going to laugh at you, blah, 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 blah. And if you never change that mosh pit, that's the way your life's going to be. And then you start to do the stuff I did because I was so mad at Wayne Dyer and all these wonderful mentors because it didn't work for me at first. And then I say, I love myself and I give my best and my best is good enough. And I say that 10 times a day, there's still 50,000 thoughts that say, no, 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 that mosh pits out of control, but through deliberate practice and being aware. So I meditate, walking meditation, sit down meditation. I've changed my thoughts. So when my mosh pit starts to act up to say, you're a loser, you're a failure. It's not going to work. People are going to laugh at you. These positive thoughts I throw into my mosh pit it's, it's kind of a game now, like really the human mind's insane, quite frankly, but it's a game. You say, okay, what's the worst that can happen? I've been here before. I've survived it. Like you said, okay. Then I look for the learning opportunity. Why am I feeling this way? Why is it this way? Because I brought it upon myself. That's a higher awareness and you can do it. But the first thing is just to pay attention and catch yourself right in the middle of that fear and call it out. Is it really true? I love that. I love the stop, the self-sabotage. I love that improvement is gradual. Um, awareness carries with it an obligation to do something about that, which you're now aware. And I, uh, the meditation brings things to your part of consciousness and awareness. And you can tell by your energy and your tone that you live it. I'm going to ask you the S word that people um, usually look to a dictionary. They look to the uh, the old school Tony Robbins types approach, but I think you're going to have a different one for me. How do you define success in your terms? You just played right into my favorite line. <laughs> so here, I'm writing my book, I'm traveling, I'm listening to things. I believe Albert Einstein, brilliant person, right? Albert Einstein. He said, I'll keep it clean, forget success. Chapter in my book is actually the F word, forget success. Okay, now now go with me on this. I'm I'm answering your question. Albert Einstein in 1922 was on tour. He was in Tokyo. And apparently a courier delivered something to him at the hotel. He didn't have any money. He wrote the courier a note. On that note were two two lines. One, where there's a will, there's a way. The other one, he said, a common, modest life brings more joy than the pursuit of success bound with constant unrest. I'll repeat, 
a calm and modest life brings more joy than a pursuit of success bound with constant unrest. Now, listeners, Google success. Look up every de definition of success. It's all about the ego, titles, things, cars, money. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's better to be happy and have money than just to be happy. You can have both. What Albert Einstein was saying in his eloquence and intelligence was forget success because there's no mention of calm, modest, or joy in any definition of success. So what's success to you? Do you, I, I love what I, I've done. I've accomplished. It's been very difficult for me because I created struggles, but I ended up dead inside and lost and I made good money and I did all the things I was supposed to. And I, I, I was, I died. I died inside and it's awful. You can do both. I can do both. You don't, I don't think you need to do it the way I did it, <laughs> but go. So Albert Einstein's note sold at an auction. Do you know how much it sold for in 2017? I think it was over $1.5 million. Those words are worth $1.5 million nearly a century later. He was telling us something. We just didn't listen. And we define success based off of ego and titles. And this is who I am. And at the end of the day, if you wake up and you have none of that, who are you? That scares the heck out of people. Who are you without all that? Yes. Yes. That's my definition of success. It's, it's fine. Be modest. You can pursue that, but be modest, be humble, have joy, love people, share it with everyone because it's not yours and you can't, it's not going to go anywhere. You can't take it with you. Rip off the external takeaway, all, all those things that are external. <laughs> yeah, it'll scare the heck out of some people because they define themselves by their ego when they say, I am. And it usually comes mm -hmm. with a title or I own. And at the end of the day, uh, we don't own anything except that that famous Jim Rohn. Yeah, we own our attitude. And we have that. That's it. But, yeah. but you know, that's, that is the way to a certain level of wisdom and happiness. And I do believe that it's intrinsically bound. Not, and it's bound more through aspiration. And, and to me, it's always been the realization of my own expectations. So I've layered them out there and been aspirational in what I do. And when I have fallen short, I've owned it. So I don't try to deny the existence of or blame it on other people. So I think we're on the same page again. And yes. my audience is tough enough. They're smart enough and they're, they're, they're gritty. So they'd love the name of your book. And it's assholes to angels, I believe. That's the uh, the yes. R-rated version. Of it. I love that. I had to say it because I love the title. I mean, you know, I wanted to do one called the Sex of Sales, and it would have played well ten years ago, but it won't play now. So, yeah, <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. What What is next for you? Now, you, you've written books. I'm going to ask, what's next for you? And then again, loop back for me, and please tell the audience where we can find you. Yeah. Well. The next is to, to get the book published, hopefully this summer, because it's been a long process. This is a longer book than my other ones. So that's an entire experience in itself. And I, I, again, I believe that's going to create momentum as to what with what you're doing to awaken people. I think the timing is perfect because everybody needs to awaken to their purpose. Leaders do. Everybody does. Um, and my intent is to continue doing this is to engage with you and other people who want to carry that message to say, we can change. We can change for the better. Um, we, need to, we need to increase our vibrational energy and actually be able to love one another and, and in a way forget because 
more often than not, in order for us to forgive, we need to forget. And sometimes, you know, the eyes are an amazing thing, but the eyes don't, we have to realize your eyes don't see, even though I can see you, my eyes judge. So if you think about that <laughs> and how we look at the world and how we process it, if we are able to stop and create that awareness to say, okay, is it really true? What am I seeing? What's my perspective? You can change it and amazing things will happen. And it, it works. All these mentors and you, Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn, they, they know it and it works. It took me a little bit longer than them, but again, it, all, it was all gradual with everybody. And that's, that's, my, that's my big thing is to do that, continue doing this. Hopefully people buy my books, tune in, and I would love to engage with people who just want someone to maybe hold the focus for them. Um, and I'm working actually on another children's book because the title came to me a couple of years ago. I allow it to come through me. Plus my last two, the cover image are my daughters. My oldest daughter's on positive thoughts, positive life. My middle daughter's on life is fine when you're aligned. So now I have a seven-year-old who's giving me a little pressure saying, Hey dad, where's my book? But I told her, I said, I just can't publish a book just because you want to. I, I, I need the energy to flow. So that's, that's another thing that's in the works too. <laughs> but you can visit me at tomcorner.net, T-O-M-C-O-R-N-E-R.net, or you can visit the site for my upcoming book. The, the website is assholes2angels.com. <laughs> and you'll see mention of Albert Einstein saying, forget success. And, and I didn't get into mindlessness, man. We need to wake up and we mindlessly go through life looking at our devices. We need to wake up and not miss the opportunity of now because we're so worried about what else is going to happen or what didn't happen. We're going to, we're going to loop around for another show because there's a lot more to, to your segment. And I, I, I could encourage the listener, the viewer, take that last piece and think about judgment. Think about the eyes, the judge, and how we assess. And if we could just stop doing that and ask for perspective and a different level, maybe perhaps meditate and get, create more awareness, try and make better decisions. That's what I think. My name is Bill Woodich. You've been listening to The Unstoppables. I love it when the message is aligned with the messenger. And Tom Corner is that messenger. He's spreading love, but he's doing it gradually. And he's telling you to stop self-sabotaging. Think positive, then go out and do it. Until then, be well. You've been listening to The Unstoppables. If you liked today's episode, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode every Thursday. Please help spread the word of the show by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or Stitcher. Those five-star reviews really help out the show. You can subscribe to The Unstoppables on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher to stay up to date on the latest episodes. Thanks again for listening. Always forward.